What's good with it? What's good with it? What's good with it? I am Damo, the political plug. This is the Chop Up Show. I'm here with my dog, Toya G. We are your favorite black leftist. Uh, Toya, how are you doing? Hold on, I can't. Hold on, I'm having a, uh, let's make sure that people can hear you, because I'm a, I can't, I'm having a hard time hearing you. Let's see. What about now? That's better. I can hear you now. Perfect. What's up? What's good? What's yeah, good? I'm yeah. here. I'm in the building. I'm in the mix. Happy yeah. Thursday. There we go. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Uh, and you, and you here in a, in a better mood because of? My boys, the Celtics won. We're gonna push the game seven, and we beat Philly. So I'm a, I'm a happy customer right now, satisfied customer. Right, Lakers wasn't able to uh to to uh you know finish the job yesterday. So hopefully we can get things in tomorrow. But that's the sports talk. Uh, we have a we have a very important conversation to have with y'all today. It's a conversation we've had before, but it's 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 time to um have that dialogue. And we're talking about uh, alt right extremism. And, and the violence that occurs from it. Uh, now, traditionally, uh, when you hear the conversations of things like mass shootings, what typically happens is there's a conversation that always comes up about gun control. Mm-hmm. Right, Toya? It's always a conversation about gun control. Always. So what ends up happening is both sides, whether you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, whatever, you kind of just start yapping about mental health, you start yapping about access to guns. You start yapping about background checks, right? Uh, it's just a consistent conversation about this thing that nobody really seems to agree on. And there's literally no ground being given. Like, I, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong to you. Would you disagree with the characterization that the conversation of gun control has went, in, has went nowhere? Yes, and I think it's sad because, you know, you you described it as yapping about, but what I think about, you know, a lot of the even-keel kind of fair individuals who live in our society who are like, you can have your sporting, you can have your hunting, you can have your fascination with the newest technology and with history and with all these things, you can have that, just be realistic about it. I don't want to just chalk that up to yapping about because I think there are people who were just so exasperated with all the changes, but no, it's an uphill battle to get sweeping gun reform that they're just trying to fight for something, right? And they, they, they're they trying to get people to just reason with them with something, about something to some level, just make the pain, make the, the craziness go away. And so I don't think that you know, that thought process of gun control is bad for the common person. But I do think it is it's moot, a mute, this moot point in the context of politics that then people get to barter around and bat around because they know the conversation is not going to go anywhere, right? It's the, the low-hanging fruit is to look at these conversations about gun control and to talk about, for example, the NRA. Because we know that the NRA is in the pockets of politicians. Politicians are in the pockets of the NRA and they have both a material and symbiotic relationship with each other mm-hmm. that represents a, a hard stand people are taking to defend the second amendment, right? right? But I think even more importantly and what you had gotten at in these conversations about gun control that would make them so frustrating is in my opinion, this reliance on mental health in relationship to, or as a, as a juxtaposer to gun control, right? It's not gun control that we need, right? Gun control is just not realistic in terms of it's too heavy handed or it's not gonna fix this problem or it won't deal mm-hmm. with illegal guns and what about the mm-hmm. black market? So people get to slide that to the side and they go straight to mental health. And I've said it before and I'll continue saying it that I think that is such a lazy scapegoat-esque approach and strategy to deal with the issues because the it, a couple things, one, in the years prior to these conversations, uh, when mental health started being uh, largely destigmatized and socially discussed, they wasn't worried about no damn mental health. You was called punk in a pansy. It's the new. Huh? It's new. 
is new. Yeah, like right? they, they, it, like it, caring it, about depression and mental health. That's some new shit. The new hotness, right? You're yeah. punk, you're pansy, you are the R word, you are all types of mentally unstable. And this is not to say that people in popular culture or, or you know, liberals don't fall into that problematic language, but the pull your bootstrap up, up relationship that Republicans and conservatives tend to have to how people create their destiny in this country mm-hmm. means we ain't got no time to get in the gray areas of that. We ain't really worried about, I mean, you got Governor Greg, Greg Abbott who, uh, I think took away something like two hundred and eleven million dollars worth of mental health care access. But whenever a shooting, whenever a mass shooting happened in his state, that's the old help. That mental health is at it again, yeah. right? And so you have hijacked that 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 reality mm-hmm. and done nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Don't really care about it at the root of your core. You're not really worried about what mental health is until it's time to not talk about gun control. Then on top of that. You, of course, then scapegoat people who experience mental health issues and now get everybody to assume that they're completely unstable and in any moment prepared to lash out, which right. re-stigmatizes mental right, health right. issues. And then last but certainly not least, you create a situation and a obstacle where we never really get a chance to look at uh, how we appraise what mental health is, how we mm-hmm. provide better access to any... Mm-hmm. Like, it's just... It's, it's, it's a spin cycle situation, you know, where I, I really feel like it's become a catch-all term just for like anything we think wrong with somebody is. I mean, but it, because what can you do with mental health? You can't reach out. Right. You can't touch it. There's no right. solution. There's no surgery. There's no medical procedure. Right. There are a lot of new things we're constantly understanding. So you get to look into the void and say, well, what shall we do? Right. What can we do? We can't predict these types of things, but you're not going to take our, take our guns. Like, and the conversations end up trading off realistically with what you can do about any of those things. And I think it's a whole lot easier to take guns away from people who are mentally ill and decrease the access that they have to them and the likelihood that they're able to use them when they're having an episode, if that's truly what they're having, because we're going to talk a whole lot more about how that's most of the time not the case. Right, not the case. Um, It's going to be a whole lot more easy to do that than it is for you to try to diagnose and pre-diagnose everybody who might be a threat to the society and the community that they live in. This is my thing, though. I I I think people who are considered sane are actually a bigger threat with guns um than 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 who we considering the the, the mentally ill right because mm-hmm. I, I i have something that i call the racist brain and right and how the racist brain causes us to think but we'll never call that that like lapse in logic that lapse in understanding we'll never call that mentally ill and so like and while i, I agree with your assessment the reason why i i, I feel like the bigger issue is that We've talked about the data that kind of show how, uh, like, uh, alt-right extremism is the largest representative in terms of uh, who's committing that type of violence. But the part that we ignore about that is when we have these conversations of gun control, mm-hmm. like how we hate in this country, which is, which is a reality, right? Hate is a reality in a lot of ways in this country, plays a larger role and and what this violence looks like. So like 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 when you try to say uh, or when you are saying that they're making it an issue about uh, mental health, you, they scapegoating that. What they specifically scapegoating is the hate that's been normalized and a part of how this country is socialized, mm-hmm. and, and how we and how like the dehumanization of people that stems from that hatred, specifically that comes from like the more uh, from white supremacist alt right extreme conservative belief. The hate that we see from those groups stems from a dehumanization that makes the type of violence that we saw that we see like in Allen, Texas, possible. Right? right. Just shooting a gun in a crowd of people. If you if you if you know that you are aiming for darker people in a black grocery store, uh, people in a in a in a, in a black church, it don't well, matter like who you hit. You that like that's your target. Like those dehumanized bodies are your target. And so when the the conversation of gun control scapegoats the fact that we haven't dealt with how hate is at the foundation of how we understand identity of how we understand culture right i even even our um our reluctance uh, that, that we argue that certain people have a reluctance in terms of embracing their blackness like the whole i'm not uh, i'm not black i'm oj right? uh-huh. it stems from how we understand blackness from the perspective of white hatred Right, but like white hatred has dehumanized blackness to the to the extent of the violence that we've seen throughout our lives, so that we literally don't want to attach ourselves to that, right? Because right. what you see with that is you you see uh 
you know, derelict, right? You see abandonment. You you see all these things wrongs in society, and it's it starts with like that black label and how things are close to black people. And so, uh, I think the biggest the the, the biggest issue and, and the main reason why we bring up gun control when hate crimes happen um, is like, primarily because like that's an easier thing to talk about than. Hey, we just have a very messed up perception of people. We have a messed up way that we understand each other, how we how we look at identity, and it's it's easier to just kind of kick the kick the can down the road than thinking that we can deal with those aspects of identity. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, because what it, like I mean, if 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 we're bringing up socialization and what and what that means and like how we and how we understand blackness, we both can identify a ton of ways. Of like, I, even if we look at it, like, like look at it from a biblical perspective, like, I think this is the one that kind of stand out to me the most is when like like when we look at goodness being the light, right? Uh, badness, darkness, being Absolutely. black. It it I mean it's kind of right there in front of your face. It becomes that obvious, but yeah. like, because it's so obvious, we think it's just normal as opposed to um, as opposed to something that we should like actually call out and have a problem with. Now the reason that we have in this conversation y'all and and while we're back talking about uh the violence that comes from a very particular group of people in the political spectrum is that there was another uh shooting in Allen, Texas. A shooting in Allen, Texas at a, a outlet store and or excuse me at an outlet mall and uh of course it was done by a uh white supremacist or a white supremacist sympathizer, if you will. We're going to get into why that distinction matters in a little bit, but his name was Mauricio Mm -hmm. uh, Garcia. He was a neo-Nazi sympathizer. Uh, He was known as a neo-Nazi sympathizer because he visited Russian social networking sites where he expressed a fascination with white supremacy and mass shootings. He is shown with many photos uh, displaying his large Nazi tattoos on his arm and and his torso including mm-hmm. a swastika and the SS uh, Gustavo lightning bolt logo uh, that represents Hitler's paramilitary forces. Um, when, when, now when you look at dude, Toya, cause you, you kind of showed me, you sh- you showed me those images that in terms of his identity, like, in, like when you look at his mugshot and then you look at him in those pictures, is he somebody that you would even think like, that's a white boy. That's a white man. Like, l- like looking at the mugshot in the pictures. No, of course not. I don't think anybody will look at him and and be like, "That's a, a white man." I think it 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 was startling and surprising, but it at the same time wasn't. And and we can talk more about how and why. But I I just yeah, I wasn't surprised that it wasn't a white man. You said you wasn't surprised that it wasn't a white man. No. Why is that? I mean, first of all, we talked about access to guns, right? It's mm-hmm. the state of Texas. We literally, and I forget the specific city that this happened in, but just a few weeks ago, uh, had a a man go and shoot up a house where he was shooting off of his porch and was asked to be quiet and stop shooting to let baby sleep and went over and slaughtered five people. And so, you know, when I I see the and the nationalities of those folks were uh, Latin A, right? And so, uh, like, I I'm not surprised just because of the accessibility to guns, and we can't mm-hmm. forget to talk about the issue that men have in relationship to gun violence and violent crime and violent gun violence uh, specifically. Mm-hmm. Then you tack on the fact that he wasn't black and I mean, I'm sorry, wasn't white. And I think we just start to understand the depths. I, I think the, the, how did, I'll go back to this all the time. How did Trump win a presidential election? The depths of supremacist ideologies, mm-hmm. individuals who have, conservative agendas where for whatever reason right. they don't like certain groups of people don't want brown people don't want Asian like right, 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 it's a right, lot right. of people and it's not just white people so if yeah. those same people can collectivize enough to vote somebody like that into the Oval Office then I can only logically assume that there's enough of them out there who are self-hating or hating of enough people with a certain ideology to, to commit those types of crimes I can't let that not be fathomable to me yeah I I, I agree I feel like in the instant, I'm not. I was. I was. I was surprised, but not by a lot. Like it was like a, like I knew. I, I mean, it was. It was a good chance that for sure white supremacy was involved. But then the question was like the perpetrator. And so when I look at dude, and it's like, what messed me up the most is always that, like when 
people that look like that, they are more willing to kill you as well, bro. Yeah. Like hit like you got on you got Hitler tattoos looking like you more on the Latin side of things, thinking that that actually gives you a pass, and it don't work like that. Like, the white Anglo-Saxon dude does not fool with y'all either. Mm-hmm. So, like, to attach yourself to that level of hatred and, and to buy into the, the type of dehumanization that makes these type of actions possible, I, I think it's a, it, 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 again, it speaks to another level of, like, how we won't call this, we won't call it a mental health thing, but the racist brain, like, destroys like logic, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it destroys like a sensible way of understanding things and, and, and a, a sensible approach to this. And the one thing I want to point out is that like these people, because uh, this dude Mauricio is just a is a part of a larger, louder, uh, dangerous conservative movement that's becoming more popularized, becoming more mainstream. Right, yeah. Donald Trump is is, is what uh, is, is what have these voices like individuals like Mauricio Garcia feeling more comfortable doing and saying the things that they saying. Right? I mean, we it's, can't forget too, you know, the name of the leader of the Proud Boys is, mm-hmm. and I want to make sure I get his name right, because his name is always in the news, uh, Enrique Atario. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and mm-hmm. so when we look at some of the, an individual who has been spearheading some of the most problematic rallies and outdoor exhibitions of extremism that we've seen mm-hmm. in the last decade he's either been at the forefront or the backdrop of a lot of those instances either inspired by or literally a part of and so everybody from you know your tiki boys to your january sixers i, I bet you uh they are in some way familiar with his body of work and his his pop perspectives and, and politics and so it's no coincidence even when you look at the the the, the proud boys and everything that they represent pick a news station, they're going to plaster up a picture of white dudes. Right. Right. <laughs> the person who is, is at the helm of those things is absolutely a, a non-white man. And I think it's some, something that's extremely interesting about that too is like, we know that it's, we also know that it's happening to the degree that that was something that we saw come up in this, in the 2022 midterm with like Stacey Abrams in Georgia. Like, even though it was a negligible, it's a neg- it's been a negligible increase of black men that support, uh, like right wing, the current brand of right wing conservatism and support Donald Trump. The mm-hmm. fact that it's an increase is still upsetting, yeah. right? Because it's not like they <laughs> like sure. they don't reflect like more so like okay, I'm more convinced of conservatism because of somebody like Donald Trump. It's like n- not not really right. So it's like what is what are they appealing to? That actually, I mean, which I'm asking what, but I mean, we we know the answers. Things like misogyny, the desire to reflect white, uh, the, the white patriarchy. For oh, black I mean, men. I think it, I I think it's a blatant desire for junior partnership, except for in a lot of the ways the slow, quiet, humility filled approach that Asian Americans have taken, where they're just like, we'll be good and docile and quiet, and you know, occupy those that proximity to whiteness that way. We just see a lot of other non-white people now say, we'll do it the hard and heavy way. We'll go ahead and show up and say the unthinkable, do the unthinkable, and line ourselves with some silly shit so that we can get as close as possible and signal to you and dog whistle to you that we're one of the good ones. Please bring mm-hmm. us up there where you are. We're harmless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we'll go as far as saying all of the weird shit that will make sure in the end you get control. Because it's not like you're going to slap my black ass face right. on the front of your movement. But we're in line enough to get the benefits of being in proximity. But I, but I also do think I also think that they are more willing to do it now in in like gratuitous ways to where it's just like I like look at this black man on TikTok that wears a cowboy hat of a Confederate flag. We'll put you out front, mm-hmm. right? Like we'll we'll use you as an example of what it is that like of of, of the type of blackness that we come from. You're right. With. I, I absolutely <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> like they will take. I mean, like I'm, I'm, I say this, and we've had exhaustive conversations about the Herschel Walkers of the world. Mm, exactly. Yeah. The, the exactly. Candace Owenses of the world, the, the 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 Silk and Diamonds of the world, the Herman Cains, the Ben Carsons. I completely it slipped my mind for a moment. Oh, oh how can I forget? Uh, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, Ch- take your face and just slap it on some shit in Hollywood. So I misspoke. I'm, I'm definitely misspoke. Well, and so I mean, and so we we so we know that that's a we know that that's a reality of it. But I think it's just the counterproductive nature of like the the same ideology that you use to inflict harm on other people can and will and has been because like he was killed, 
Dylan Roof went to Dylan Roof went to uh, Burger King or some shit, mm-hmm. right? Like the the Latino white supremacist shooter is out of here. Dylan Roof got to see a court. Do you see the difference? Not ironic. <laughs> Not at all. And and also, it's you know, there's no sympathy there either. Like you got what you got for the you know for that type of for that type of violence. But at the same time, it's like, we have like very blatant examples of how, bro, it's not for you. It it, it doesn't right. work for you like that. I think also where we start is as we go into an election season. So we starting hearing more conversations about gun control, the same rhetoric back and forth about gun control. Uh, while, while we ignore the hate crime aspect of it. Uh, one thing that this, that this shooter war that, that did get people talking about this conversation of, the type of right wing violence that we seeing is he wore a pin that said right wing death squad, R W D S right wing mm-hmm. death squad. All right. Now we understand the political framework of the United States. You got right wing, you got left wing, right wing represent conservatism. Uh, left wing represents the, uh, liberalism, right? Right. Right. So right wing death squad is, is, is a very specific ethos towards, <laughs> how one should engage in that type of left-wing, right-wing uh, uh, dynamic. Now, to give you all a little history of background about where that term came from, white people didn't even use it. Like, it was it was people in South America. Like, uh, during, during their uh, coups and back and forth and resistance in the 70s and 80s, uh, there were actual mercenary groups who believed in their form of conservative politics, right, their form of right-wing politics, and they was willing to shoot somebody for it, so they called themselves... Uh, the right wing death squad to maintain death right squad. Wing, the right wing governments in uh, South America. This uh, uh, term, the way that it's being used now, with people like the Proud Boys, for example, Enrique Terrio was seen wearing it, uh, came back in the 2010s where they're making memes, they got stickers, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they specifically glorifying a Chilean dictator named Augusto uh, Pinoque. It's like P-I-N-O-C-H-E-T. Uh, somebody could right. Yeah, some connect, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and like literally somebody who was known for killing thousands of his political opponents. That was what he did. That is how he got down. Killing his political opponents. So the right wing re- like reflection and representation is, is literally being uh, spearheaded by people who wear or who view themselves as a right-wing death squad. Mm -hmm. And if y'all not familiar with their work, back in 2017, when the Charlottesville uh, incident happened and a woman was killed when she got rammed by a car from a counter-protester, the name of the group, one of the groups that participated in that uh, that Charlottesville rally was the right-wing death squad. So we know that violence follows this name. We know that people being hurt, being put in harm's way follows this name. Um, and it's still been able to exist and be a part of uh, conservative political dialogue without anybody of any, of any, no, any, of, of any influence doing anything to root that out, to call that out, to make that a conversation. So what I want to ask you, Toya, and, and to get folks involved in the chat, how in the hell do we have civil conversations uh cordial conversations about voting when the people that are on the that claim to be on the opposite side of what we're on wants us to stop existing they don't want us breathing no more their framing of how we have they understand this engagement is they're saying that people like uh uh what was his name augusto they said mm-hmm. Augusto, the, br- the brutal Chilean military dictator who killed thousands of his political opponents, they saying that he did nothing wrong. That's how you should move. How do we have civil conversations when the opposition takes literally that stance? I, that question that you're asking me is, I think, the question that a lot of people ask and we're asking in the summer of 2020 that they ask every time we get stopped and dealt with unjustly in various police interactions the same way Terrell, seen... uh, Terrell Taylor said Pinochet as well I'm sorry Go ahead. okay but I, I mean but that question I think can be answered I mean it's the same question that people ask when they look at black people who don't want to participate and play the game no more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um 
like that, that's the question that they have to everybody saying, well, show up to this town hall meeting. We'll come in and let your perspective be heard. Well, don't forget to vote and show up. That is the question. Mm-hmm. Is how, like, what do you mean? Because one of the two things are going to happen, right? Either I'm going to try to come and you're going to create hoops and hurdles and barriers and limitations to my participation anyway. Shout out to the Voters' Rights Act. Shout out to all the political gerrymandering. Shout out to all the voters' uh, rights mm-hmm. abuses that are happening across this country. I'm going to try to show up and you're going to be like, nope, for whatever reason, <laughs> not your time. Or I'm going to get in that hole and you're going to tell me I don't know how to talk or I speak too passionately or I got my afro and I came in here trying to protest on the right of the, or I wear my dashikis in here or I'm a, a Filipino and black heritage and wear this long ponytail down my hair and I'm a mm-hmm. millennial. Or, and so Y'all make it about decorum. It is not good enough. Right. Or I'm an activist and I come here impassioned and emboldened because I don't play by the same rules you do, but I need my voice to be heard. Mm-hmm. So I'm finally coming here to see if y'all want to listen. Mm-hmm. And before I can finish, I get shouted down. I get mm-hmm. hauled out. I get followed and harassed after I leave. And now the police won't Criminalized, stop me over and terrorizing my neighborhood and shit like mm-hmm. that. So that's why that, that, that question you asked me is the question that's being asked. And in a lot of these spaces, and this, and this, and this is why it becomes understandable every four years and every two years even when you and I go back and forth about, you know, if we voting this year and what the ballot and the bullet means and what do we do and how do we show up and which candidate is the best. Yeah. A lot yeah. of people say the hell with all of that. Y'all ain't talking about me. I'll tune in for the next episode of the chop up because what the hell is the point? But see, I think this is where, and this is where I come in. This is where the political plug come in because our politics don't have to look like they should. Our politics don't have to rock like that. I think, I think the question of like this type of violence is a uniquely black question because mm-hmm. the people, most of the people committing this type of violence are the people who, who uh, position themselves as our opposition, right? When they talk about civil war, I'm talking about, I'm on TikTok. I'm seeing videos of, you know, uh, of white people literally talking about, yeah, there needs to be another genocide. It needs to happen. Mm. I'm talking about record skip. Wait, What? Right. We now have a we have we have a very unique political uh, 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 middle ground, regardless if you democratic conservative. Right. Regardless if you uh, believe in, you know, economic freedoms or you believe in social welfare. If the, the people talking about a genocide are not asking you about your political beliefs. Yeah. <laughs> the people that's literally talking about, uh, you know, these they, they, they pollute, they dilute in our bloodstream. They're not saying, oh, Negro blood is cool or Negro conservative blood is cool. It's just a Negro liberal. Nah, it ain't. They're not viewing it like that. Yeah. They're literally saying that there are, there are people who have a particular phenotype, right? Race is phenotype based classification. Yeah. And so you, you have that phenotype. You are now a target. You are a threat. You are an issue. You are eating you are food dependable. that belongs to white people. You are living in a. Uh, uh, you are benefiting from things that white people should be benefiting from, and you should no longer exist. Mm-hmm. And the, and it's and it's not that they are saying these things just on like social media sites no more. It's becoming <laughs> too common. On camera, we want the cameras. Inviting the cameras, want the platforms, want the spaces. Excited for Tucker Carlson to come over onto Twitter and have his show Excited. and have his platform. I'm going to talk all my shit in the comments. I don't care if you send the screenshots to my employer. I'm proud to be here. Right? Like, I, it's amazing. Bro, excited, like, excited to be there. Ecstatic to be there. Right? Like, li- like, literally. It de- I, I, like, yes. I have been, I have been, got, I've gotten caught up doing all this racist type shit, but I know that there's a bunch of people that embrace me. Y'all, Nick Fuentes. Kanye West homeboy. I'm telling y'all, he literally out here preaching white people go back to your grandparents racism. There was nothing wrong with that. How I'm, I'm, I'm why isn't our political dialogue situated in our, around this type of level of survival? Right? We are we're nitpicking about uh, you know, I, I won't say nitpicking because there, there are there are relevant Political dialogue we, around we identity. Be able to do it all at the same time. Yeah, yeah, we like walk and chew gum, right? We got to be able to do that. So I don't want to call it nitpicking, but we are we are getting stuck on conversations like even even the conversation about gun control with black people. It's like like we're like yeah, we need to get guns. We need to get guns. Yes. What's the flip side to that though? 
the flip side to that though is the people that are bright that are, that are talking the most about getting guns we don't need to be talking about rights right the people that's the most talking about making sure they got their guns are the people who don't like us right they're not friendly to us and when we see how they use their guns when we see how ar-15s are used most of the time now you we're not it, it, it's not in defense of they land from government that part he usually never is <laughs> never that like that's why that whole like even the idea that we should even bring up gun control it has nothing it's all about hatred it's all about hatred and the and uh the and the FBI is has went literally as far as to uh, like really help identify and help show like back in 2021 let me Get this pulled up here. In 2021, like, they already broke this down. Strategic intelligence assessment and data on domestic terrorism. They're like, there is no question. If If we're having to ask what are some very common ground political needs that black people are need to be focused on going into a 2020, uh, the 2024 election, we can start with information that came out in 2021 from the FBI. These are our ops. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right like yeah. they they i mean they giving the game right now these are our ops one in, in a, a, a few things that that they that they pointed out first they've designated the type of violence that we're seeing from white nationalism they designated that a term right they call it rmve racially motivated violent extremism and they use that you said what i said it has a name that's the first sign that something is real when we use when you start naming that shit you got to do that first. Racially motivated yeah. violent extremism. And they use that to describe the category of threats it, uh, and uh, that encompass white nationalists and white supremacist ideologies that, <clears throat> that drive acts of domestic terrorism. Key points made. Key points made that y'all see here. First, in 2021, they recognized uh, RMVE as a growing threat. That is including white nationalism. This isn't uh, the the, uh, the the brown terrorists that we've been inundated with for the last decade or so, right? Yeah. It, it looks like Tucker, who runs around with uh, a uh, Make America Great Again hat and the rebel flag on the back of his truck. That's right. what domestic terrorism looks like. It's, uh, in various testimonies before Congress and public statements, FBI officials have acknowledged the rising danger posed by these groups and individuals. A second major point, majority of domestic terrorism cases come from these type of people. We talked about this on the last episode. And in a 2019 testimony uh, uh, before the House Committee on Homeland Security, then Assistant Director of Counterterrorism Michael McGarrity stated that the majority of domestic terrorism cases investigated by the FBI involve some form of white supremacist violence reflecting the increased focus on this threat. That means that in 2029, in 2019, they saw what was going on. We just did an episode about it two, three weeks ago. So it's 2023. 2019, 2020, 2021, right? 2022, and 2023. That's how That's many years uh, that, that we've Watch Fox News. They care about things like the Great Replacement Theory. Right? And then uh, uh, the third major thing that they pointed out is the lethality. They dangerous. Yeah. FBI Director Christopher Wray has highlighted the lethality of white supremacist attacks in the United States, noting in 2019 Senate Judiciary Committee hearing that these groups were responsible for most of these incidents. Like, people are getting in front of uh, 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 these these very specific hearings and saying, that means we got this on tape. The same people that are arguing about gun control are the people that that held these hearings. The same people that bring up gun control. Go ahead, Tony. I'm sorry. Before I start. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, you, like, you say these things and I sit here and I think, and, and this is where, you know, we pride ourselves in being an intersectional podcast mm. here and we have to look at the matrices of power and all the ways that they exist. And we are having a conversation about race and we are looking at the FBI outwardly saying in our investigations of these issues and the way that we have accumulated this data, 
this is what it says about racial groups both being targeted and who make up these terrorist groups. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I just can't fail to acknowledge the fact that it's all dudes. <laughs> and I think that we need to have, I mean, 100%. Like, 100%. It's white, it's white men. Yeah. I mean, just dudes. Just dudes. Like, not white dudes. I right, it's dudes. Like, it's I, dudes. Right, right. It's dudes. Yeah. It's dudes. It's dudes. Just want to be clear about dudes, dudes. Right? Got a lot yeah. of love for dudes. Dudes be having a lot of love for me. But I think in a world, here's the connection that I want to make. In a world where okay. we are unable to even recognize the ways that men, 50% of our entire uh, world and social population, and I won't say 50 because, you know, we're having changing conversations about gender, but a damn lion's share, damn sure lion's share of the population is the people committing these crimes. And we're not having large conversations about men in relationship to violent crime. We never do. So if we can't have that in your face conversation, we're not finna talk about the ways that specific specific sectors of men, sex of men, have taken on these particular ideologies and strategies and really brought them to life. We ne- we're not never gonna do that. Well, I'm I mean, I, I, but I do think though. I mean, if we if again if we're having this conversation about um, what's been normalized and and why we're not having that conversation is because like violence and masculinity go hand in hand. It's mm-hmm. kind of like how violence and racism go hand in hand. Like these, these dominant forms of like how we should view society and how society should look requires violence in order to be enforced because it's very specific, 100%. right? Like the if 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 we look at for example the violence that that we know that comes along with racism, it is to enforce the hierarchy, right? I have to these violence this this type of violence sends a message. What happened? Yeah. These things reinforce the violence. Right. One of them took him, yeah. Hold on, the comments. I can hear you. You see, you see everybody saying they can't hear you in the comments. <laughs> they saying they missing the combo. What? <laughs> What's up now, kid? Let us let us know. Is it still facts that y'all can't hear us? Like neither one of us or just demo. Oh, I got you. All right, we working out the we working out the audio, y'all. Just demo. It's just demo. Well, shoot. Shout out to y'all in the comments. J Universe, Moore's, uh, more ones. Uh, Tiffany, shout out to my sister in the comments. Terrell, um, it's great to see you back in the mix. Definitely uh, happy to see you slide back through. Danielle, if you still in here. Um, but, I mean, it's not hard, right, to really deduce a lot of what's going on. I think the plug is still uh, trying to figure out his connection. But, I mean, I I, I don't know. I, I guess I want to just have a human conversation right now while the plug figures, figures out what's good with the audio. What's y'all's, what's y'all's take? Like, I'm scared to go to Texas. 
Like I'm so afraid to go to the state of Texas and I'm trying not to make Texas unique. And I'm trying to remind myself that this entire country is vulnerable to the things that we're seeing on loop and on repeat. But when I think about both gun control and gun violence, but also the racial aggression and frustration that exists, uh, I, I, I'm Texas got me on edge. So what's y'all's, what's y'all take? What's y'all view on just all of these uh, gun crimes that have been happening uh, over these last, I say, a couple of months? Not just there, right? We we know that the young man in Kansas City was shot for knocking on the wrong door. We know that I brought up the example of the five, the family of five that was shot down there in Texas. Uh, a okay. bunch of different examples, but like, how how are y'all walking? How's your how's your mental? How's your emotions? How y'all walking around this world? With all these shootings happening around y'all, because I'm shook. I should be back in the mix. I should be back in the mix. And let us know whenever y'all can start hearing Damo again. But answer my question. How y'all feeling? <laughs> um, my nerves bad. I'm shook. I mean, I feel like everywhere it's a mass shooting. It's somebody getting shot. I think it was a young man out here in Long Beach where somebody pulled up on him and another young lady. It was three kids walking. I'm talking about this little boy was 15 or 16. He just got shot. Just walked down the street. Not yeah. affiliated. Don't do nothing. And, you know, don't bother nobody. And him, he got killed. Another young lady got shot. And then the third person that was with him, you know, uh, ended up being not hurt. But but they got me on edge, right? So so how y'all feeling? And and I think they saying you back plug. But yeah. Tiffany said, agreed. I've been worried. Uh, what's so rampant? Oh, how things are so rampant down in Texas. More one said Texas and Florida are dicey. Yeah. Uh, Jay Universe said, I've always been afraid to go to the entire South of America due to historical violence and racism. Um, and I think that's what the plug was saying. He don't, he, he don't be trying to I don't, go to I don't fool, I don't fool around down there. I don't fool around down there at all. I mean, it's a reason, even when I start telling people that I'm from Kansas City, people, especially living in California, they're like, you from the South? I'm like, not exactly. Now, I don't, I don't <laughs> no. trust the white people around where I'm from neither. That's why I say, but I say I'm look from the a little country. higher on the map. I say I'm from the country, like I'm from Kansas. So like I'm from exactly. the I'm not you from know, the I'm South. You know, I'm from what you would consider to be the, be the country. Donnell said kind of numb to it, to be honest. And that's such a it's such a terrible place to be. But I do, I feel helpless. I don't know if I feel numb. I think numb is a very particular place that you go when you are tired or something happening over and over and over again on repeat. I'm 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 anxious. And I think I'm, I'm just, I'm and exasperated. So, so, th- and and I think the the last thing, and I hate to add this to y'all anxious brains, but the little boy where they ran up on him on a school bus, and the only reason he didn't he didn't lose his life is because they guns jammed. Oh yeah, I saw it, Bruh, I what what they say? What's that? Is it is it Minnesota or Michigan or somewhere? The kids got to wear see through backpacks for the rest of the school year because they didn't have four different kids show up to a to middle school with guns mm-hmm. in their backpack, loaded mm-hmm. guns. They don't even get backpacks no more. Because little kids showing up with loaded guns, like what is where am I? I saw that early this week and was like, it's too far. So this is the thing. This is and I think this is where we kind of get into a little bit of our debate bag and, and allow us to kind of philosophize a little bit. Because I think this is what like to, to answer some of these questions uh that you asking, Toya, and to help us kind of con- uh contextualize like our feelings towards this numbness that we call it i call it normalization i and and i don't say numb i always say normalization just so Mm -hmm. we understand what's happening we're just calling the violence that happens to us normal we don't feel it because it doesn't have an impact anymore because it's a part of our everyday and it should never be we should always understand that it's problematic right it should never be considered a part of our a part of our everyday and so uh, uh, one theory that we discussed that we talked a lot about and read about more so in, in college to, that helps us kind of understand these issues uh, is this thing, is the understanding of Afro-pessimism, uh-huh. right? Which is a um, a theory, a black theory, as I, as I like to call shit, because we make sure that black people are philosophers too. We create schools of thought too. And it's a, it's a black school of thought that looks at uh, society as we understand it uh, and makes the argument that the basis, the foundation of the society that we live in is anti-blackness. That means that the world, as we know it and understand it, is built on the degradation of people that look like us. Okay? Mm-hmm. That, that is the theory of anti-blackness and, and Afro-pessimism. Where Afro-pessimism and critical race theory, as we discuss, share a parallel, is, this, is how uh, the theory of anti-blackness and uh, racial realism. Both mm-hmm. of those... Philosophies operate from the standpoint that race 
the violence that comes with it, the hatred that comes with it is not an aberration. It, it's, it's a part of its norm. It's, it's, it's a, it is a key aspect of our society. It helps orders our society. Go ahead. Don't forget about what you're saying about racial realism. I just want to sell the episode. If y'all missed the conversation we had about critical race theory and we had it be the conversation because we recognize so many of people who look like us don't really know what it is. So don't know how to defend it. They feel like it's stigmatizing or they kind of get the, the afraid of engaging in conversations about CRT. But if you want to know what it is so that you can have a functional vocabulary for it and understand the things about racial realism and everything else, around uh, the conversation of CRT that really helps you understand what it is. Go back, look at our episodes on YouTube, on Apple Pods, on Spotify, wherever you're listening to go catch up with that conversation because this whole notion of Afro-pessimism and how it buys into the logic of Mm -hmm. racial realism or aligns itself or finds parallels with racial realism will make more sense with that context. But that's just what I wanted to drop is, you know, we've we've been having building blocks of these conversations. Right. I mean, and, and it's something that all oh, y'all understand. We use words like anti-blackness, racial realism. Racism is normal. Like, that's something, like, we we know this. Like, we, that is a part of why we're numb to racism. Why people be like, all y'all do is talk about racism. is because we are the people that's trying to help y'all understand it. It feels normal, but it is not. It is not okay. It is okay yeah. to say it's not okay. Right? That, like, that's that's the main thing we want to get from this. But what, what the theories are, are situated around anti-blackness and racial realism help us understand is that I, and when, we're, when we're thinking about how we challenge these things functionally, like especially, again, as we, as we talk the political dialogue and as we're moving into another election season where a lot of these conversations, where a lot of these conversations come up, I think uh, the issue that we fall into is we get caught up in the uh, black the, the the Democrat versus Republican paradigm. Like every uh-huh. conversation we try to have, you got to pick one of those sides, right? And what what anti blackness teaches us, and in, in the, uh, the theory of racial realism teaches us, is that neither one of those sides are productive for us. Neither one of those sides help us. The mm-hmm. gun, like for example, the gun control conversation. There is no solution that they can produce that will be beneficial and productive for black people. Period. Now we know that, like, of course, you know they they struggle with creating legislation that that specifically addresses the issues that Black people deal with. But from the from an Afro pessimist standpoint, from a critical race theory standpoint, when you look at the values of of like white liberalism as it exists today, the values of white conservatism as it exists today, we we don't see anything that actually works to the benefit of Black people. Like, I mean, we well, to- I mean, think about. I just think about the state's worst nightmare, right? If you use the Constitution as a black person to your benefit to protect yourself uh, against the state coming and, you know, threatening your house, your home, your livelihood, your family, that means niggas can stand on their porch and shoot the police. And that's just wow. And justifiably get away with it and have their day in court and realistically have to be able to defend those actions and those behaviors. And they don't want the slippery slope of that to even be on the minds of Negroes, right? That's the reason why you can't just, you know, throw gun control at the problem and be like that'll solve what's happening in black communities or that will really because the way that it trickles down and here's the last thing i'll say for attorneys back to you is and this, tiffany said this in the comments and this is a common position that i struggle with because i agree with it and that mm-hmm. is that gun control and making guns illegal are not going to solve the problem why because right. there'll always be a black market and here's the gotcha where there's a black market there will be then attempts to eradicate that black market which means over policing of particular places where they feel like that black market is going to thrive and guess right. where those places will be they're going to turn the heat up on niggas and now black people who don't even got guns don't like guns don't carry guns they never seen a gun they never really held one in their life is going to have a neighborhoods and their houses ran through right because right. you already know who runs the black market and and you know i come from a family of people who've been or a family that has been victimized by gun violence and the you know when uh, the the way that the gun violence is discussed when it comes to black people is how black people have a hatred of other black people right mm-hmm. like that talking about hatred is never a problem when, when they're talking about perceived black on black violence right look how black people see black people look at what black people do to other black people it ain't about yeah. the access to guns then <laughs> even though like it's gun violence that black people are being harmed by there's no conversation about man we need to take the gun like it's it's guns right guns are harming black people no the first thing people want to jump to when when somebody say black lives matter is black lives don't matter to black people that's the first thing people jump to 
And so right. we can we can recognize that there is there is a willingness to have a conversation about the role hatred plays in uh, the violence that people endure when it's talking about black people doing violence to other black people. But when there is a possibility that the that the poster boy, that the face for what domestic terrorism could look like, looks like them and believes what they because even with these liberals, they got uncles that are conservatives. They have grandfathers. They got best friends. That are they, like the conservatives are also they, they, they colleagues in the Senate. Yeah. What would it mean for what they stand for to reflect domestic terrorism? What would it mean for the GOP to be the party of the common domestic terrorists? And, that, and that's essentially that's essentially the, uh, the, the world that we live in. Toya, it seems you... like they don't care. It seems like with their ability to spin the media and to spin conversations and take it up to take up enough space in the algorithms and in, you know, based on agenda setting theory, being able to spot what we talk about and place what we talk about in front of us and ignore certain things and not talk about others. It, it, it seems kind of like they always going to be able to wiggle out and sidestep out of that conversation. They never going to have a conversation about who is representing the fiber because they get to ignore them. They get to, they get to talk past it. They get to talk around it. They get to control other parts of the conversation. So I don't know. I think but, that is what becomes more futile about trying to shut them down or even peg them down to something. And that's because they can always be like, well, but we just won't, is, we won't talk about that. But this is where we, and, and, uh, and this is why I say like the conversation that we have as a people, this is where we get to stand up as voters and be like, no, this is a voting issue, right? Gun rights is that y'all shouldn't be polling about about when it comes to this type of violence. Y'all shouldn't y'all shouldn't be polling us asking us about are we gonna vote in the issue of gun rights? Nah, what are y'all doing to curb uh, uh, white supremacist extremism? Like if you go back to two thousand eight and uh, like like every you know pre two thousand ten. A, a, a number one poll issue is what are you doing about ter- terrorism, right? What, do you, what are you doing about ISIS? What are you doing about Al-Qaeda? Mm-hmm. That was something that had, that they, they talked about that in terms of, hey, a voting conversation. I'm not trying to hear no candidate ask for a black vote if they, if they can't speak on, like, white nationalist domestic terrorism. Not from the perspective of gun violence, but uniquely from the perspective that when these things are happening, it is, like, it is people who are reflecting the politics of what we call the other side of the aisle. And, and, and there, should be no, there should be no black, black conservative or not. There should be no black people voting for conservatives that are not willing to outright you know what I'm saying? Work to actively push back against those types of uh, 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 those types of politics, those actions, mm-hmm. right? Like, why or why don't you hear? Like when, when Obama had to, uh, what was it? Uh, Jeremiah Wright. Obama had to, if he wanted to get elected, he had to say, "I don't fool with Jeremiah Wright." He had to renounce that, those relationships. He had to move far away from them. They were stigmatizing. They were destabilizing. They were a threat to his politics and image for sure. So that means that that should flip on the the other side. And this is my message to black conservatives. Y'all shouldn't be voting for uh, white conservatives that are not willing to actively work against, identify right wing death squad. Yeah. If that ain't a part of your talking points and something that you pushing back against, are you trying to take down? I'm as a black conservative. I'm not fucking with you. How, how could I? It, it's that simple. Yeah, it's that simple. I do want to. Uh, I, I want to introduce a little. Um, in, in terms of this conversation of normalization, I want to introduce my boy uh, Jared Sexton uh, and his understanding of how how these things become normalized. In his book, like, uh, and Jared Sexton is a professor of African American studies and film studies at the University of California, Irvine. Um, in his book, The Social Life of Social Death on Afro Pessimism and Black Optimism. He engages with this concept that he calls what uh, social death, and that is that uh, the condition of a people who are not considered fully human by societal standards. In the case of Afro pessimism, mm. it refers to the position of black people in a society structured by anti-blackness. From this perspective, Sexton suggests that anti-blackness is so normalized that it's often invisible or seen as a natural part of life rather than a perversive system of violence and oppression. This normalization makes it difficult to challenge or change the conditions of anti-blackness because we're used to it. The only thing I want to add to that explanation of what pessimism pessimism is, 
is the uniqueness of chattel slavery, the process of slavery and slavery in and of itself. That is described within Afro-pessimist texts as modernity, mm -hmm. right? Which was a unique breaking point where of course we weren't always uh, non-human. Of course we weren't always in a position of dereliction and recipients of gratuitous and necessary violence, but the event uh, and the, the implications of slavery created modernity, created a new world. Mm -hmm. by which the entire notions of what humanness and humanity look like were completely recalibrated in ways that allow for blackness to be de facto marked as not human, right? So I want right. to kind of situate why people fixate on slavery. It's not because we are infatuated with the fact that we were slaves. It is the idea that that unique moment is what mm -hmm. created a pivotal point in the law, in politics, in life, in social life, in political life for black people in ways that are not reparable right or irreparable and the only ways that they can be corrected is to blow up the world as we know it right to literally uh upend civil society in ways that, are, that do not have any reflection of how they've been set up and stabilized through through chattel right. slavery right it's 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 difficult and i mean and what what wilderson and, and sexton and them argue is that like it's a, it's a grammar of suffering that's not intelligible it's not it, it can't be understood by mainstream conversations it can't right. be understood by like uh it can't be understood by msnbc mm -hmm. it can't be understood by liberal talking points so and so when we say the grammar of suffering it's like literally describing that uh the purpose of violence on black people in black communities i'm telling you when we get when we start getting into the philosophical shit right like because what it it, it, it again it, it we, we talk about the fabric of the world that we live in yeah the fabric of it calling it into question like, what are you willing, what are you willing to point out and identify and say, you know, this is something that I, that I'm willing to call into question that we consider normal. Cause you can't, you can't begin to question issues of race or issues of racism and talk about the way systemic racism function without calling out normal, without questioning normal. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Cause like all of this shit, like that's why Sexton or in, in Wilderson says it's literally the foundation you got to get rid of everything because everything that we know is built off of anti-blackness and, and built. Absolutely. So when y'all hear people say that they, uh, that, uh, uh, you know, th this country was built on the backs of black people, bro, y'all that sleeping on that statement. <laughs> Cause it, it, it continues to be built on like the things that we produce, what we understand about the world and, and, and what's important to us. Um, any, any other important notes you want to speak on in terms of, um, anti-blackness? And, and and how we and how we come to see like the violence that took place in Allen, Texas, toy. I mean, just the idea that for a lot of people who navigate this world, and some people know that they're pessimists and, and participate in Afro pessimism. A lot of the people in our communities, our cousins, our uncles, our aunties, uh, you know, the folks who we rock with and go, you know, roll heavy on the block, they don't even realize they're Afro pessimists, right? But they mm -hmm. are. These are the politics that they're performing is a pessimistic idea that their participation is meaningful in political discourses and mm -hmm. political spaces and the types of organizing that it takes to participate in a pseudo democracy, one that we've never actualized or never really experienced because of the uh, process of slavery and because of the literal documents, the formative documents, the ways that, you know, this country were founded on being written with us, never being in my, it, there's a reason, you know, when we're called three-fourths humans, some mm -hmm. of us still got beef with that. Right. There's not enough maintenance. There's not because you said it first with your chest the, the way you meant it the first time. Mm -hmm. And now all of these redresses that are examples of the liberalism that we're not really trying to participate in, because as much as you can change the letter of the law and change what this law says, first of all, you got an old Supreme Court that will the wind will blow this way one day and it'll be like mm -hmm. this and then the wind will blow. So we can't trust it. And then secondly, just because you write something don't mean you behave in ways that align with what you wrote. This is why a police officer will take an oath and swear and promise and go through trainings and do all this and still get on the beat and go beat somebody's ass. Man, look, all the way wrong. Go that's all the that's way how wrong. those things happen, right? Mm -hmm. So pessimism has been a strategy and a method of resistance and survival for Black people for as long as we can remember. We just simply have people like Wilderson, like Sexton, Sexton like Orlando Patterson, really shaping out and forming what these conversations mean on a day-to-day. But Afro-pessimism is absolutely very alive. And the last thing I want to say about Afro-pessimism before we start to close out, though, is uh, what Afro-pessimists believe, though, is that there is social life and social death. Right? 100%. So, like, in terms of 
Like, so when people is, is like, well, you know, why do we have these conversations? Why do we talk about racism? It's because being able to identify the social circumstances and like, like even, even from a intellectual standpoint, a media standpoint, push back against these things. This is where we find like life in that resistance, right? Like shout out to our folks in Baltimore, leaders of a beautiful struggle, which speaks yeah. to, right? Like, even though like the, our, the, our circumstances is, are being described as such, like it is our agency. It is it is this display of resistance, right? That creates social life even within those circumstances. You know what I mean? And so then the only thing I'll clarify even about that whole notion of social life and social death is recognizing that social death is the projection of the oppressor of whiteness right. of white supremacy onto black people. It's not how we recognize each other. Awesome. This is why we can go and commune yeah, and sometimes. celebrate. Sometimes we do. Sometimes, right? <laughs> black people, black people who have knowledge and love of self, black people who recognize and understand how yeah. systems, structures, and regimes of power, matrices of power work, yeah. are able to recognize that we are not socially dead. We simply exist and live our lives and create life away from the systems and structures that are never meant to celebrate us or recognize our life in the first place. This is why you have community outreach and you have activisms and you have people working together to pour into each other, to feed each other, to provide healthcare to each other, to provide services and community to each other. You have black nationalism Mm -hmm. that exists in this country because they recognize, I see you, you're alive and well, and we can thrive and survive and, and do more than what the state or a reliance on those systems and institutions would ever be able to give to us. So while they recognize and render us as socially dead, we recognize and invest in the life and the livelihood mm-hmm. of black people. And so this is not to say we're calling ourselves socially dead or that we're calling other people socially dead, but that those uh, demarcations uh, and erasures, right? That's Both true. the marking and the unmarking right. uh, of black life is what renders the systems powerful and what creates the opposition and the conflict with it for black people. Right. And so, uh, as we start to close out, we, we coming into an election season. So of course y'all are going to hear a lot more of these political conversations. However, we feel like what, uh, what y'all choose to focus on in terms of what's important in terms of politics is not the important shit. So we're going to have to have this conversation repeatedly. So here, what we definitely want y'all to take away from this one is when y'all hear gun control debates, when we see these types of acts of violence take place, remember they are skirting the issue of the socialization of hatred in this country. Mm. Uh, white supremacist domestic terrorism should be a voting issue. I mean, and when I say a voting issue, I mean that should be a, that when you go to the polls, <laughs> <laughs> that should be something that you think about. And your politician, you, you black person, black conservative, black independent, black liberal, black green party, uh, whatever else, black Panther, whatever else, new black Panther party. I know how, whatever else, whoever you are voting for, if they do not have challenging domestic terrorism that come from white supremacists as a part of their agenda, they are not for you. They are not thinking for you. They are not working to your benefit materially. I can care less what they talk about with your economics, right? Our, our, our uh, safe spaces are being dominated by terror that we that we know full well, but it used to wear hoods. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, it runs around on social media and just pop his head out to defend AR-15s and everything else. Um, and so we are dealing with another tragedy in this country, but until we're able to deal with hate and how it's recognized, then we are dealing with a darn thing. Uh, it's been real. Uh, Toya, you want to say anything to the people? I do. Shout out to the chat. Um, we had Avenge the Ancestors in here showing love, so shout out to you back. Terrell dropped a couple gems, said, what an officer says when they take an oath and what they feel as though they uh, do uh, with the badge and gun are not always the same thing. Protect and serve in words can become murder and slaughter in practice, and those are bars right there mm-hmm. because, I mean, you get to be dispatched to make and discern your own understanding of this world. But if you've grown up with the veneer of anti-blackness at your core, then it don't really matter how many contracts you sign, how many handshakes and photo ops you take at that, you know, uh, academy graduation. You're still going to do what you want to do in these streets. Terrell continues by saying, facts Toya were only dead from the frame of the dominant, not dead to our own. And that's 1,000%. Uh, facts you know Juneteenth is coming up and we're celebrating Mm -hmm. moments that commemorate our liberation our freedom so shout out to June 19th and a lot of stuff that's going to go be going on next month in terms of the ways that we celebrate uh, how we recognize the life that's in us yet Uh, who else been here Donnell said 
wait, and, and I want to, before I get to what Donnell said, no, Lorraine posed the question, uh, said, Britt here living in Denver, if cops also had to get rid of their guns, would you be more likely to give up yours? I don't really have stake in that conversation because I ain't got no guns to begin with, but I think that would be a great starting point um, because it would destabilize what I think are some of the biggest gangs and some of the big biggest perpetrators of white supremacist anti-black violence in this country. They are a legal organized gang that matriculated from organizations like the KKK that matriculated and evolved from slave catchers and slave patrols. So from the perspective of a black person in this country, 1000%, I think that would start yeah. to mediate and deal with a lot of the reasons why people feel like they got to walk around with the strap. Nah, I'm gonna have to say no. Police giving up guns. Nah, that's no. Because remember, the thing that the thing that we were terrified of was ropes. They ain't need guns. <laughs> if they have if, if it was more of them, uh and and not enough of us to protect each other, uh, then they used ropes. So that's why I say it's not a question of gun control. It's not a question of giving up weapons. It ain't a question of none of that. It's, it's, it's who deserves this type of violence? Who do we dehumanize enough to justify mm. this type of violence? So, yeah, it's not. Like, again, matter of fact, we're going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to sit down with Toy. We're going to have to do a conversation about the critical race theory perspective on rights on, on, and, and the conversation of rights. Uh, and again, that'll be another place where. Afro pessimism and critical race theory kind of intersect because it's like that ain't got shit to do with us. Like whether it's uh, gun rights, whether it's uh, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, whatever. Like we know government don't operate the same way and laws aren't applied the same way when it comes to black folk, when it comes to everybody else. And I mm. and I, I can show you examples of freedom of speech being used uh, like to the detriment of black people, but in the defense of. Uh, you know, white nationalists and, and the KKK. That's why, like, I think it's like the ACLU or is it, or is it the Anti-Defamation League, maybe. One of them is known for helping support white nationalists in um, in freedom of speech cases. So, you know, that that's another conversation. That's Some not person the end of Yeah, that's, that's another conversation to be had. But uh, y'all stay tuned. You know, we'll, Wait. Be, we'll be... What's up? One more thing. Donnell yeah. said something about uh, 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 oh boy, Jim Clyburn. We're gonna have to look into more of that and see what the conversation's about. I don't know the tea about what's been going on with the Democratic senator from, I think, uh, where are you from? DC? From Clyburn. South Carolina. So give give yeah. us a tea, make sure we know what's going on. Uh, uh yeah, shout do, out that, to, do that on the, uh, in the DMs on Instagram. On yeah, hit me up, let yeah. me know. Because uh, if you're not following the Chop Up Show, you should at the Chop Up Show. But also, I'm at Toya G T O Y U H G E E. That's how me and Donnell linked up. So you already know, hit the, hit the DMs. But at the Political Plug is also a place you need to be hanging out. We are looking for ideas. We're always looking for good topic stuff to get into and a piece of great conversation together about. So it's worth it. Uh, Tiffany said no, she wouldn't give up her guns. Uh, she has two, and is is not about to let the state peel them out of our hands. Uh, so these are the types of conversations we're going to come back to. I think this country are going to leave us a lot of opportunities to talk more about guns and our positions on them. So make sure you stay locked in. Plug, if you ain't got nothing else, I'll go ahead and say it while you get ready to push the button. But we love y'all. We'll see y'all next Thursday. We're going to be right back at it, having the conversations that keep us moving, collected, and educated uh, as Black folk and people who care about the issues of Black folk um, around this country. So shout out to y'all. Keep your eyes peeled. Keep your head on swivel. We'll see y'all next week. See y'all yeah. next week.